We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our special guest today is Rich Jennings, the West Division President of Comcast Cable. In Rich's 30-year history in telecommunications, he's had operational and profit and loss accountability. His process flow improvements and customer care initiatives enhanced customer value while creating operational efficiencies. With a strong belief in integrating family, work, and community, Rich has a robust history of community service. He's partnered in numerous community and industry organizations over his career, which will be listed in the show notes. Rich is recognized as an influential leader in the industry and has a remarkable reputation. In fact, the reason I have the privilege of knowing him is because someone said, you want to meet a generous leader? You got to meet Rich Jennings. What I appreciate most about you, Rich, is both your deep passion for personal and team development and your humility. Welcome to ROG, Rich. It is so great to be here, Shannon. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So could you please share a little bit of your background with us, Rich? Yeah, absolutely. So um, there's not a ton to tell, and I know we only have a limited amount of time, so I don't want to bore you or your listeners to tears. Uh, But I'll start with I'm a native of Chicago, so I grew up in the inner city of Chicago. For any Chicago fans on the west side of Chicago, I uh, went to school at University of Notre Dame, so go Fighting Irish. Our football season's a little questionable this year, but not bad, not bad. When I came out of school, uh, I actually started in retail, so I worked for that legacy retailer, Sears and Roebuck. So depending on the, the generational age of some of your listeners, some of them might say, Sears, yep, got it. Others are like, dude, what are you talking about? But that's where I started. I thought it was great foundationally because I, I started in a management training program and I got the privilege of rotating around all of the functions within a retail store. So everything from security to shipping and receiving to hard goods, soft goods, everything. And it was really just a phenomenal experience. I I really think anyone that's in business, if they've never worked in retail, they're missing something because it it truly really indoctrinates you and it, and it, it teaches you how businesses operate. So I did that for a few years. It also wears you out, Shannon, because... If you think about, you know, holidays, you know, presidents, that's when the big sales are. So it feels like you never get, you know, time off. Um, And that's actually what led me to uh, pursuit within the cable television industry. And so about that, and when you said it, it kind of blew my mind because you said, hey, been in this industry about 30 years. But about that time ago, I actually came into the cable television industry through an industry organization called the Walter Cates Foundation. That could be a whole separate conversation. But but that was my, my start. And I started with Time Warner. Um, I joined Comcast in 2005. Uh, and it's just been a great ride. I, I, I've been extremely um, lucky, blessed to have had a lot of great uh, influencers in my life. And it's just kind of brought my career to present. So let me stop there because I promise to try not to bore you with Impossible. tears. Impossible. 
That would be impossible. But just while we're on points of interest and things about you, talk to me about martial arts. <laughs> uh, well, you know, Shannon, probably like every kid, you know, when it, so think about when you're a kid and the first time you saw a Bruce Lee flick, right? Uh, and you look and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, that that's impossible. How is he doing that? How is he so fast? And so I grew up watching those movies and, and I was like, I want to do that. And so around the age of 12, um, and this will definitely date me because I collected comic books. And in the back of comic books were always these little ads for, hey, you can sign up for this karate course and we'll mail you the detail. And so around 12 years old, I did that. By the time I was 13, I started training formally. I then became a competitive martial artist. Uh, that was that was kind of it. And, and even to this day, um, I still do a little bit of training. That's incredible. And how do you parallel martial arts with corporate leadership? Do you see some parallels? Yeah, there are, there are a lot of parallels. Um, because, you know, when you think of martial arts, you think of a certain discipline. Um, and I think when you, you know, when you think about running a business, everything that we do is fairly structured, it's fairly disciplined, and the martial arts really gives you a great foundation for reflection, for preparation, for endurance. And so all of the things that you, know, that you would think about being a martial artist or being a, a fighter, I think you can just kind of parlay into the business world. And it, and it really has helped me because it, it's helped me with reflection, it's helped me with um, being disciplined. It's also helped me with just being fluid and fluent. And I won't go into it now, but Bruce Lee has a great commentary about being like water. Oh my gosh, I was just going to say that. Go <laughs> uh, but, but that's right. So I'm glad. So you know yeah. it. Yes. Um, I think our listeners would benefit from that. Yeah. Well, I think that, you know, if you're not familiar with it, it'll resonate pretty quickly here. Because if you think about water, obviously it's a liquid uh, or in liquid form. Wherever you pour it, water takes the shape of the vessel in which you pour it. And so the, the thought process there from Bruce Lee, this, the notion is that, hey, there are lots of different styles of martial arts, but once you've kind of mastered them, really the, what you want to do is you want to kind of look at the environment. You're not, you're not presupposing, you're not preconditioning, you're not trying to anticipate but you let the environment kind of unfold itself in front of you. And then that's where you decide, hey, you know, am I going to go left, right or whatever? But it's this notion of being fluid, being like water. So understanding the environment, if the conditions change, you're just as fluid and you can move with those changing conditions. And so now think about the parallel there in, in business especially in, in these current times mm -hmm. where macroeconomic conditions have, have shifted and they've done it pretty rapidly. Being able to be like water, being fluid, being able to kind of take different forms, different shapes, being creative, being receptive, I think is, is something that definitely comes into play. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. We had Nelson Duckett. Get out of here. All right. <laughs> yep, I know. And he said that was his favorite quote. And I have it in my notes here. It says, empty your mind, be formless, shapeless like water. If you put water in a cup, it becomes the cup. If you put water in a bottle, it becomes the bottle. You put it in a teapot, it becomes a teapot. Now water can flow or it can crash. Be water, my friend. Bruce Lee. That's really good advice for us. And, and the, the latter part of it, so for anyone that's trained in the martial arts, water can flow so it can be fluid and in some cases passive. 
but it can also crash. And when, when you think of it, so think of if you're, you've ever been on the beach and you see water hit the shore, it's, it's a very explosive event. And so while water seemingly can be very tranquil and passive, it also has the power to be dynamic and explosive. And, and I think that was the latter point by, by Bruce Lee. Yeah, it is something to be respected. For sure, you know, you know, and that versatility and uh, different purposes of it, and just to know that you have th- that power and you also have that restraint. So I think that there's a lot of ways for us to understand ourselves as water and to be fluid like that and shapeless. I think that's really beautiful. And then one more thing about your personal um, interests and talents is that you're a DJ. So can you share a little bit about that? <laughs> Uh, yeah, sure. So, so I think, you know, the the DJ thing, um, so again, like every kid coming up, you know, I love music. It just so happened that two of my cousins were DJs. And so I was able to watch them. So first I love music. I, I love watching DJs. I had the benefit of being able to be up close and personal with them. And, you know, one of my cousins gave me my first mixer. The other gave me my first turntables. And so I started early on, probably at the age of 15 or 16, just listening to mixing music. By the time I got to college, you know, I was hosting events. I was kind of the DJ on campus at Notre Dame. So if there was a party going on, it was it was probably a Richie Rich party. So, but I still uh, enjoy it to this day. I don't go out and do gigs or anything like that. But uh, you know, it's just it's something that's a, a nice um, hobby and pastime. Really nice. What is your kind of genre of music? Do you have a particular kind of music that you love? Yeah. Well, I'll give you two answers. Um, I loved whatever type of music someone was paying me to play. So when I was an active DJ, if they wanted a rock party, I was a rock and roll fan. If they wanted a, a island or Caribbean party, uh, what I listen to the most is Caribbean music. So think of reggae, but a lot of hip hop. Um, I've gotten into a little bit of jazz. Um, Mainly, if you were, you know, if somehow you were invisibly sitting in my car while driving, you'd probably most definitely be listening to dancehall reggae uh, or maybe a little R&B. I love it. And do you have like an artist who you think is just amazing, but for some reason not famous yet? Yeah, you know, that's a that's a great question. I could probably give you the name, Shannon, and, and that would be proof that the artist is not uh, famous. But there is an artist, Patarankan. And for those that listen to Caribbean uh, music, island music, they pr- it will probably resonate. But if I paused here and asked you, have you ever heard of Pataranka? No, I haven't. But I'm looking forward to pulling it up on... Yeah, he's got some pretty good music out. Uh, and he's done some pretty good collaborations. And then, you know, Beanie Man is a, is a dancehall artist that goes back years and years. And as of late, you know, some of, some of the combinations that are happening. So if you know who Ice Spice is... Ice Spice has a, a great song out now with uh, Rima called Pretty Girl. has a nice kind of Caribbean vibe to it. So, But I would say Paolo Rankin is someone that's uh, definitely underrated, definitely a, a great musician. And so, yeah, Google it, Spotify. It. Well, you know, a lot of those artists really don't get noticed until they have an adequate amount of followers and attention. So I think it's important to amplify them. And it just sounds like really great music. So thank you for the tips. Um, so segueing back to the workplace, you know, here you have this reputation. And like I talked about your humility, you'll, you'll, uh, 
you know, probably not recognize this as the major cultural attribute that it is to Comcast, but your style and your interest in investing in people and the kind of generosity that we just amplify on this podcast, that that non-financial but massively valuable kind of um, generosity, like what are some of the ways that you see generosity at work? Just categorically, you know, generous workplaces, generous leadership? Yeah, it's, I I think it's a great question. And one of the reasons it's such a great question is because it allows a bit of subjectivity. So if you were to ask that question of someone else, they they might give you a different response. But probably first and foremost, I think generosity Mm -hmm. comes through in feedback. And we've probably all heard the saying that feedback is a gift. And I think it, I think it is, and I think it's one that just keeps on giving. And whether it is uh, intentional, intentional or not, I think all of us should just be prepared to uh, accept the gift, unwrap the gift, um, sit with the gift, and use the gift. I think other ways that it shows up is um, just in, in accountability through an organization. And that one sounds a little bit weird. But when you're in a, an organization where everyone is accountable and the leadership within the organization really drives that accountability, I think that creates a, an atmosphere where, where people can perform at their best because they know. So think of a football team, great performing football teams. If every player does their job, and I, I am not a, a New England Patriots fan, just to be clear, but I do have to respect the game and the players. And Bill Belichick will say, just do your job, do your job. And if everyone does their job, they're held accountable. I think that is a great way to create a generous environment in the workplace because it's really going to open up the performance of everybody on the team. And then I think the traditional ways of um, support, mentorship, sponsorship. The point you were making around feedback sounded a lot around how to receive it, which is something we don't talk about enough. You know, I think when people have the courage to give us feedback, to accept that gift and, like you said, unwrap it and and try it on. Is there a, a kind of a mindset that you have related to receiving feedback or even just even offering it? You know, because it's the the yes and. Yeah, I, I think um, so. Let's go back to be like water because I think it's applicable here as well. So when I think about receiving feedback, it is probably creating a, a moment of pause for absorption because depending on what you're hearing, yeah, if it's sharp feedback coming at you uh, or anything that you may not agree with, you may want to take a beat, take a pause. And this is kind of in this in the uh, spirit of being like water and ble- be fluid in how you receive the feedback because I think too many times you can just easily dismiss it. I don't agree with it or I think it's wrong or it could be hurtful, but take a minute and think and try to find, is there truth in it? Because in most, most instances, you can find truth if you, if you dig deep. Most times, there's a reason that the feedback was given, mm-hmm. uh, whether it was intentional, unintentional, whether it had good intentions behind it or bad intentions. Someone said it or gave it to you for a reason. Someone left that gift on your doorstep for a reason. Um, so just like you would, if you saw it, I'd take it out, bring it, try like your term, try it on, uh, see how it fits on you and then see what utility you can get out of it. So before, if it doesn't fit, 
Maybe you have to cut the sleeves off of it or something to create, but but there's something in there that you can use in terms of reception. And in terms of giving, I think I would just simply say, be thoughtful. So if you understand the premise of taking feedback, that should set your foundation for how you give it. So give it the way that you know uh, people will hopefully be able to ingest it very easily and not have to wonder or or, you know, cut the sleeves off, as I said, you, you know their size and, and give feedback that will fit, that they can try on and, and use very easily. Mm, that's awesome. I love that. And then when you talked about accountability and you were saying like the, just do your job, right? Now I'm trying to think about like the, the water and being like nimble and kind of adaptable and also being like accountable and clear about the role that you play. And I also know that you're a huge team person, both in and outside of the office. So just like talk to me about accountability, teamwork. How do we all kind of show up and do our job? One, one with accountability, the interesting thing is when it's there, it almost goes unnoticed because things tend to flow. And so it, it's almost in background. You, you typically notice when accountability, it, it only comes up when it's lacking. And, and the reason that it comes up when it's lacking is because it generates frustration in the organization and it generates frustration in a team. And you think about a quarterback on a football team that throws the perfect pass and the receiver drops the ball. When that play goes the way it should, perfect pass is thrown, an exceptional uh, receiver gets that pass. Everybody's happy. You don't think about it. You say, yep, that's the way life is supposed to be. The quarterback is supposed to throw the ball. The receiver is supposed to catch it and score. That's what happened. Life is good. So if you can get an environment, and it takes reps, just like on any other team, practicing accountability, identifying in the organization where it's lacking, and then addressing it and creating a culture of it within the organization. And so I mean, you'll see that, Shannon, I use a lot of sports analogies. But, but every great sports team, you've got the, the formal coach, but then you've got the player coach. And you better believe that Michael Jordan, if something wasn't happening on that team, Michael was addressing it. And that's because the culture was created there. And so that's, those are my thoughts on accountability. I think um, you'll know when it's not there. And that's the, the cue that you've got to coach it so that it becomes part of the culture and it becomes self-monitoring, self-policing and self-executing. Mm, so true. And do you believe in like calling out when people are doing it well? It sounds like, yeah, the flow, it's like kind of like the way it's supposed to work when things are working. But like I could see you as a kind of leader who um, recognizes and rewards the kind of behavior that you're intending to see or that you're aiming for? Recognizing, rewarding the behavior, absolutely. Um, if you don't do it, here's the danger of if you don't recognize and reward. If you're trying to set it as part of the culture within the organization and you don't have recognition or reward of it, you'll never, it, it will never stick. So people within the organization, people on the team are always looking for what's acceptable, what are the norms, where do I advance, what generates uh, momentum for the team. And the easier you can make it for individuals to see and, and know what that is, the better, the faster, the more well-established or deep-rooted the culture will be. So absolutely, recognition and reward. So when we talk about things like accountability, 
uh, to the degree that you can count, call it out as a leader. Say, hey, Shannon did a marvelous job. This was well executed, really took charge and took ownership. You know, way to go, Shannon. That, I think, um, will set a hard edge within the organization so people understand, hey, hey, here's the boundaries. Here are the things in our culture that are super important. And, and it's important for people to be able to easily distinguish that. What's important, what's not. And if they see it, they know it, it's recognized, they'll run to it. Mm, so true. And as team developers, like you and I both are, we know that it's it takes a lot of time to get agreement on what are the norms, what are the rules or code of conduct, team charter, whatever you want to call it, ways of working. So you you bother to to do that. You figure it out. You're like, these are our values. These are our guiding principles. And then sometimes we just trust that everybody understands what that means and that they're going to, you know, hopefully go deliver that way. But then, but that's just not how people operate. So I think it's important to hear you say that, yes, clarify what we're looking for. And then when people are demonstrating that, call it out and say like that, you know, like, like the way that Rich just handled that setback right there or took ownership and responsibility for a mistake even. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And, you know, if you if you get it right, it does become kind of self-policing within the organization. So think of someone who's brand new joining the team. They're going to be looking around to try to understand, okay, hey, what gets rewarded? What doesn't? What's the leader going for? What's the organization about? And I think to the degree that the organization can demonstrate that, put that on display. So every new member joining the team, it doesn't, everyone's looking for that acclimating period you want the shortest amount of acclimation. If you make it so hard that people have to go and, and seek it out or figure it out on their own, then there's something missing. You want that acclimation period to be quick. You know what we're about. You know what you can do to contribute. And you know what contri- contributions will be readily rewarded. Oh, totally. And the other thing you mentioned was mentoring. You prioritize, you make space and time for the opportunity to invest in other people. I mean, what has your experience with mentoring been like? And, you know, what, what could you share with us around mentoring? Yeah, well, let me, I'm going to give you a little bit of a different twist on it because I'm, I'm somewhat of an introvert. And so a lot of times it's just hard for me to go and say, hey, Shannon, I uh, really love what you do. Would love for you to mentor me and help me, you know, kind of get to your level. And I'm in probably not that outgoing. And so I, I practice something called silent mentorship. And I know what my value sets are. I know what I'm looking for and going for. And I can see it around me. And I've gotten pretty good at recognizing and then watching and observing. And so I've got people who don't even know that they were silent mentors to Rich Jennings because I would watch what they do. I watched how they presented in in meetings. I watched their preparation. I listened to their diction. I looked at how they would um, interact with other people. And many times I never even got the opportunity to meet them or to have a private conversation with them. But because I had the opportunity to watch them, and and the reason I wanted to share that twist, Shannon, is because a lot of times we get frustrated. Hey, if Shannon would just, you know, take me on as a mentee, that would be great. Well, maybe that'll happen. Maybe it won't. But don't give up because if you still are around Shannon, you still get to be in meetings or watch her perform. Take it in. Watch, observe, learn. And so 
anyway, uh, yeah, I think you get the point or the concept, but I think, yeah, certainly there's formal mentoring, but this notion of silent mentorship where you can just sit back, observe, reflect on what others are doing. If you see that, yep, they're hitting the mark of what you're going for, take them on as a silent mentor. And then maybe at some point in your future, you'll get to explain to them how much they meant to you and and that they were actually a mentor, even though they may not have known it. Have you ever had the opportunity to do that? Yes. Yes. Would you mind sharing? (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, a lot of times, um, you know, I started and and this happened, you know, early in your career. So think about when you're a frontline manager, then a director, um, There have been a couple of instances where I, you know, finally got to a point of position where I was spending more time with the person that would have, that was the silent mentor, ultimately developed a relationship to where they could become a formal mentor. That didn't happen too often, but it really was an opportunity to tell them, hey, this is how much you inspired me. This is what I learned from you and watching you. Uh, You know, I'll give you one of the examples. there's a there's a woman who worked for Time Warner years ago, um, just a brilliant lady. She went on to be an executive vice president with the company, I think, before she retired. But I would watch her. Her name was Carol. And I would watch how she carried herself. I watched how she would deal with conflict when people came and brought her problems. I watched how she challenged them or pushed back or, you know, the questions that she would ask. And I just thought it was brilliant. You know, I would take it all in. I would have my notes. And um, before I left Time Warner, I, I got an opportunity to just kind of share a little bit of that back with her. And it, it was really meaningful for me. But that's maybe one example. Oh, that had to make her day in her career to know that she made that difference. And I really appreciate this idea of the silent mentor Because like you said, for some of us, behaviorally, uh, we would prefer not to, you know, have to have the formal relationship or maybe we don't have the access or the time or whatever it is, but we can still observe. And I'm hearing curiosity as like a a through line and a lot of the things that you're talking about, Rich, like, you know, even your curiosity about martial arts and like DJing and how to put music together. And in this case, it's like in the workplace, observing how people are responding to challenging situations. You talked about focusing on like their diction and their conflict resolution and like how they interacted with people and and really like taking like the best hits list from the people who are your silent mentors and populating that into your own leadership style. I think it's a really important thing. Like one of the exercises that I ask executive coaching clients to do is to send me video clips of behavior. It doesn't even necessarily have to be leadership behavior, but find clips of behavior that that is what you're aiming at. You know, like when, because sometimes they'll say things like executive presence or uh, you know a stronger leader. But like, what does that look like? I just want to know for you, what does that look like? And it's really interesting. The they they love the exercise, um, but they also can. So those are some silent mentors as well. People that we may never meet, like Michelle Obama. I'm, I'll, I may never meet her, but I can learn from her style and her poise and her way of commanding a room that is really valuable. So I think that curiosity is what I'm hearing. Yeah, and, and I love what you said about how you would do the exercise where you, you would have them bring clips of what they were going for if they had it. And I take that back to martial arts and Bruce Lee. And anyone that knows Bruce Lee, 
he had studied a, a number of martial arts. So he was classically trained in Chinese Kung Fu. But over the course of that training, he had dabbled in other arts. And he had gotten to the point where he developed his own system, and he essentially did just that. He started taking clips of, hey, well, this, this particular art handles defensive maneuvers better than this. This particular art emphasizes more leg movement. or this, And he actually put it together, and, and you know, he's got a book called The Tao of Jeet Kune Do, but it's really kind of doing it. And, and when you said that, Shannon, I loved it because it brought back to me in martial arts this notion of not necessarily being predisposed to one discipline or the other, but you kind of figure out, hey, what are the best traits of, of all of them? And you pull that together. And I think that's something you can do with silent mentoring. Because just think, if you had to go and, and get a formal mentor every time you saw, I mean, you'd have a hundred different mentors. That's, a, you know, that's not tolerable. And you'd just be confused. So the ability to sit back, do it silently, and then do exactly what you just said, pick those best traits. And even if you're just mentally taking those snapshots, I think that's, I think that's ideal. I do too. And I think the way the a word you used earlier when you were talking about martial arts was reflection. So it's like the observation, the reflection, and then there's that like personalization of like, which elements of this do I want in my own leadership style? You know, how do, how do I want to impact people? Because I just think that's, that's like the work that is on all of us. Like we don't just magically become amazing leaders. We evolve and I don't know if any of us have arrived yet, but I think those who are really outstanding leaders are those who are always looking for ways to improve that reception to the feedback um, and the observation of others. And I'm also hearing what you're saying, Rich, as like growth mindset, because you know, that difference between fixed and growth mindset, like in the fixed mindset, when I observe some of those behaviors, I'm kind of jealous of them and I envy them. I might even want to like take them down a notch. But in the growth mindset, I see behaviors like the ones you're describing and I'm inspired by them. And I'm like, how do I emulate that? Like, what's my authentic version of that very characteristic? And then I am, you know, just just kind of um, growing and sharing. So I hear a growth mindset. Yeah, and, and I think that's exactly right. And, and when you think about the growth mindset, You've got to be very cognizant of filters um, that you put on on observations, and so this notion of reflection, I think, allows you to defilter. Right, so you see things, you make observations. Your initial reaction or response might be through your your filter, your lens of your own personal experience, and you really miss the nugget that was in there for you or the gift that you could get out of that observation. And so that's why, like Shannon, you know, this ability to reflect. Yes, as a martial artist, you do it. As an athlete, you do it. You go back. Even when you're watching sports, you know, they'll give you the, the reflection and the replay. But to be able to do that quickly, quietly, and mentally, where you do that replay, you reflect back, or even if you do it the next day, you pick it apart, and then you set it perfectly you deconstruct it and then you reconstruct it back in the way that is going to have a great personal value to you. And, and you put your style on it. And so maybe Michelle Obama does it a certain way. She commands a room in a certain way. But you think about, hey, well, what's my style when I walk in? Maybe I'm not as outgoing. Maybe I'm a little bit more introverted or maybe I'm super extroverted and I need to dial it back. Or, But you figure out how do you actually put it? And, and I'm going to go back to what you said earlier you try it on 
and you make it the perfect tailored fit for you and your style. Mm, that's awesome. So what do you think about the benefits of generosity at work? Like we've talked a bit about like what it looks like and what are some examples of that? What do you think are the benefits culturally? Yeah, well, one, the, ben- the biggest benefit of anything that you can do at work is if it actually impacts how you behave as a human being and it, it extends into your personal life. But really what it does at work is if you just go back to the pure sense, most of us are working for for-profit organizations, at least I know I am. Uh, and when you work for a for-profit organization, a publicly traded company, one of the most important things is, are you able to generate cash flow? Can you generate revenue? Um, do you have a great um, producing machine? So the, this notion of generosity at work is an enhancer to that. It's accretive to that notion. And so as a business leader, you want to find ways that your organization can get ahead. They, they, they can produce more cash. They can produce more widgets or units or whatever. And you've got to set the table for that. You've got to create the environment for it. And I think this notion of generosity at work um, really sets the right table so that you get a, a competitive advantage in your ability to be a great producer, whether it's revenue units, widgets, or whatever, And all of us are always looking for, hey, what is that next best thing? What is the secret sauce? What can I do within my organization to get my team more motivated? And I think this this concept of generosity really says, yes, we can create an environment that's next level for our teammates where they can produce more um, and feel good about it. So, you know, when I say produce more, it's not like, producing more, working people to the ground, but they're producing more, they're having fun, and they want to do it. They want to run harder. They want to run faster. They want to be stronger because the environment entices them to do so. So key, right? I mean, it's like there's so many benefits and dividends, and how do we create the kind of environment where people feel like that, where they feel motivated, where they can bring their strengths, where they're honored and recognized for their strengths, where they work together, right? I mean, it just has like an idealistic vision to it, but it's a reality when you create an environment where people care about each other. And when you just said, it's about how you are as a human being. It's not just what happens when you walk in the door. It's like how you operate in your life and and to kind of be like called to a higher higher level is something that leaders and everyone, I mean, I'm not saying leader as a title, leaders, meaning people who influence others, um, all have a responsibility for. Yeah. And one of the things that you just said, Shannon, people caring about one another, that I think is foundational because if you, in order for, for me to give great feedback and for it to be received well, I think people need to know that I, I care about you. I'm giving you this feedback because I care about you. I'm creating this condition or this environment because I care about you. I'm making this investment because I care about you. And sometimes the feedback might not be what you want or expect it or even initially can appreciate. But just like in a family, uh, for those of us who have moms or dads or sisters or brothers, and this time, uh, this holiday time of year, you're going to be spending time with them. And invariably, you're probably going to have a discussion over, you know, one of the dinners that it goes a little sideways. 
but you reconcile because you know that your family member cares about you. And even though you have a crunchy conversation, it's coming from a place of love, a place of from the heart. And that's where I think you start to see the distinction between great performing teams, whether it's a business team or a sports team, is when we can go hard at one another. It can be well-received. And the reason it's well-received is because we know that I'm not going hard at you because I don't like you or I think that you, if you're on the team, then trust that I like you. But trust that I'm also going to invest in you and I'm going to make sure we get the best out of you. And you should do the same of me. But, but that notion of, uh, of caring, I think, is, is a really big one because you've got to get that foundation. Care and trust is essential. And then that'll open up so many doors for a lot of the other parts to happen. Totally agree. And, you know, when you were saying that, Rich, I was thinking about, and I like how you're making it a two-way street and like, you know, I'm going to invest in you and I want you to invest in me, like calling me to a higher standard. How do you create an environment where people feel comfortable giving you feedback and calling you to a higher standard when when that's necessary. You have to invite it. You have to specifically ask for it. And you have to do it enough times and pry enough where people will know that it's authentic. So the first time that I say, hey guys, look, I'm thick skinned. Tell me, you know, did I am I am I wrong here? Am I not seeing this the right way? The room goes dark. It goes silent. You know, uh, maybe someone says, "Not nah, yet, yeah, Rich. You're right, boss." <laughs> you know, thumbs up. Keep going. But then I might challenge them. Well, why do you think I'm right? Is everything that I just said perfect? Is that you know, there's nothing in there that you would change or edit? So you you know, it really is going to be a constant. Cool and in a bit, and over time, and it won't take a lot of time, trust me, people will see that if you're honest about it, that you truly want the feedback and you want them to tell you, they will see that. And it's just no different than if you ask it and you really don't want it, they'll see through that as well. But if you're if you're genuine and transparent, you'll do it a few times and then people will get in that rhythm and then you won't have to ask anymore. They will just be forthcoming. And you want those uh people in the business that can be great consigliers to you. They're going to they're gonna give you the truth. For sure. And as the, the higher you go in your authority rank, the more quiet it becomes and the less people feel comfortable sharing. So I think it's great advice that you're offering to ask it, ask again, really, you know, be receptive. And I also think the, the modeling of your receptivity, like there isn't backlash and there isn't some kind of a repercussion that's negative. So people learn that they can safely provide, you know, that, that exchange of feedback that you really want to create on, on a dynamic team. So I love that feedback or that, that recommendation. So at the end of every episode, we try to recap some of the takeaway tips so that people can apply some of what they've heard to their own work and lives. And there's just so much in here. So my number one recommendation would be to listen to this again. Um, but if we were just going to give them a couple of nuggets here, one is around, um, you know, it was really interesting to learn about your hobbies and your interests. So I would just encourage our listeners to be interesting. Like, what are the things that, light you up, that you find fun, that you want to enjoy um, and invest time and energy in those things. I think that's important. Being like water, being adaptable and nimble and prepared um, and reflective and fluid, uh, 
feedback is a gift. So both the being receptive and accepting of feedback and then the willingness to offer people thoughtful feedback, accountability, and that's doing your job um, and being focused on what's right and being willing to hold others accountable. Then you talked about mentoring and finding that silent mentor. Like who are some of the people that you're inspired by? What is it about their style that you really want to emulate? And what is your authentic version of that? Uh, and then you talked about reflective, being reflective. And, and I am curious to hear more about like your habits related to that, but just like taking that time to be quiet, to deconstruct and, and then be thoughtful about the things that you're observing. Um, and then really just the care and trust that, that creating that environment where people can openly have a two-sided conversation and uh, trust that what they're going to say will be heard and received and appreciated. So anything else you would add to that, Rich? You know, Shane, I, I think, one, I'm just amazed that you, like, extracted all of that and, and put it back. So I guess I shouldn't be amazed. It's what you do and why you are who you are and uh, the success that you've had. But but I don't think I have anything to add. If I can, maybe I'll embellish on two things that you just said out of that list. The first one, I think you started with be interesting. The, the thing that I would embellish on in that is that's super important, especially as you grow your career. Because it, it is definitely like getting into the NFL or the NBA or any professional team. Once you once you get to a certain level in your career, everybody's smart, everybody's good, everybody's sharp, and so now what what starts to make a difference is: Are you an interesting person? Are you someone that others want to be around? And just like on a sports team, you can be a great athlete, but if you're a wreck in the in the locker room or or off the field. Coaches don't want you. So that was one point on that one. The, the reflection, you had said, hey, would love to hear maybe just a quick double click there. Two things for me. There, there is what I call kind of real-time reflection and then call it post-game analysis reflection. The real-time reflection is a little bit harder because it, it's exactly what it sounds like. There's an exchange happening in real time in your mind. You're, you're deconstructing and constructing what you're hearing to either say, hey, here's how I'm going to react or here's what I'm going to say or here's what I'm going to do, and I'm doing it in real time. And it's an interesting ability to do that. It's almost like martial arts or if you're in the ring and you're fighting, you're, you're literally doing that as your opponent is moving or maneuvering. You're, you're doing that in real time. You can't wait till the next day to say, oh, he's throwing a jab. I should, yeah, you got to do it in real time. But the other one, is to do it in real time. But the other one is really the true post-game analysis. For me, I train fairly early in the morning, so I'm up early. And while I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm thinking. And usually it's the last day or week past. Uh, and then it's the day in front of me and the week in front of me uh, is generally what I'm reflecting on. So thanks for giving me a little bit of space to expand. Thank you. I think that's really helpful. And, and those are both important. They both have a time and a place. But I think, unfortunately... Many are so busy that they have not created the space to have that kind of analysis. And, you know, by the time you're in a situation similar to the one that you could have unpacked, you hadn't really um, gotten the benefit of, of understanding it as deeply as you could um, to, make, to make those constant improvements. Um, so just thank you for investing your incredibly valuable time with us, sharing your wisdom with us, and just 
for being that that silent mentor for many of us to to learn from the the cues that you're putting out there that we can improve our leadership style um, and make really beautiful cultural realities for people. So thank you, Rich, for who you are. And I would just close by saying, be water, my friend. (laughs) Well, Shannon, it it was a pleasure to be here. And let me just reciprocate and tell you, thank you for what you do. I'm sure you know this, but you, you touch a lot of people. You help a lot of people. You talked about the way that you and I got connected originally, but that was through your outreach, your efforts to try to make folks better. Uh, So just thank you for what you're doing. Keep doing it. And if I can help in any way, just uh, give me a call. I will. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.